0: Welcome to Unduped, lectures you'd listen to. I'm your host, Shirin Kumar. For today's episode, we'll be discussing the taboo of money. We often don't discuss money because we tend to judge people based on their financial status, and discussing money leaves us open to be judged as well. But since our listeners are young and about to enter the real world with very little experience of managing money or even understanding it, we've invited an incredible guest today to give us some insights into the matter. Ms. Monica Hallan is a consulting editor with Mint, India's second largest business daily and a well-known media personality. She is the author of the best-selling book, Let's Talk Money. She has worked across several media organizations in India and has run many successful TV series around personal finance advice in NDTV, Zee and Bloomberg. Thank you so much, ma'am, for being with us here today.
1: Thank you so much for inviting. It's always a pleasure to talk to young people.
2: Uh, so to start off, um, I'd like to ask you: How do you think the stigma, uh, the stigma around discussing money, uh, came around?
1: We'll have to take a little bit of a walk down the history road, because India has been a poor country for several generations because right. of uh, the colonial rule and even before that, um, wealth was concentrated in very few hands. Especially during the British rule, it was appropriated and taken out. So for a large majority of the country, there really was no hope of wealth or even a decent life. Mm -hmm. The only middle class was those very few, few lakhs of people who had some sort of a government job or some private sector job. So it was essentially an incredibly poor country with no hope for wealth and no prospects of anything changing either. So when you don't have money and there is no hope of becoming at least not poor, it is easier to call money dirty, filthy, talk about the rich as if they were uh, unclean, uh, they are corrupt, they are evil. So it was. It's been easy for generations of Indians to take a high moral ground as far as wealth is concerned. And here okay. is the duality. I mean, we also uh, worship Goddess Lakshmi at Diwali, mm-hmm. so that it, so that worship happens. But yet, in our practical behavior, because there was no prospect of any change, it has just been easier to dismiss it as uh, unnecessary, as dirty, which we still see reflected in a lot of our attitudes. So things have changed hugely. We've had three to four hundred million people pour into the middle class over the last 20 years because Mm -hmm. of the liberalization of the 1991. Mm -hmm. But these deep-seated attitudes take, I think it'll take more generations to change. I see the change has begun. I see the Millennials, the Generation Z, their attitudes towards money is very different than even ours because we grew up in the socialist India. And it's delightfully refreshing to see the confidence with which the younger Indians approach money and wealth. They take it for granted in a certain way. And, you know, that's really a change in mindsets. So it's changing, but slowly.
2: Right. Uh, So ma'am, you mentioned uh, Generation Z and uh, basically the current generation and what their attitude towards money is. So um, I think there are um, two conflicting views to this. Um, uh, I think uh, people who are closer to this uh, age bracket, they say that, uh, you know, this generation is uh, definitely more focused on um, their uh how they have to manage their money and their employment and their careers but um their parents generation probably or even generations older than that they sort of um criticize generation z and even millennials i think uh for their attitude towards money, saying that, uh, as you said as well, that uh, they tend to take money for granted in a sense. So um, which do you think, um, which side do you lean more towards? Uh, You know what, there are actually
1: no right answers to this. So I'm sympathetic both to the older people because they have seen really tough times. So personally, you know, I've grown up in a very middle-class Delhi neighborhood And in the 70s, this is the peak of socialism in India. I mean, I remember standing in lines for water, for milk, for basic stuff, because everything was in short supply. So in a locality of maybe 500 houses, there were 10 houses with a telephone. Mobiles, of course, were like it was part of science fiction. And uh, maybe there were 10 Fiat and Ambassador cars in the whole locality. A scooter would take if somebody wanted and had the money to buy a scooter. The waiting was like five years. So people who have gone through that and incomes were so limited, there was really no hope of, uh, you know, even a decent retirement. So people who have been through that time are naturally very hesitant to spend. And I remember one time I had taken, this is many years back, I had just got a new job. So I'd taken the entire family out for a meal. And, uh, you know, I paid the bill and I left a large tip and my mom-in-law saw it. She freaked out the saying that, what, you know, this will fund milk for 10 days. Right. So the, the trick is not to, you know, if you are uh, sorted in your head and if you can manage your cash flows, uh, if the older people can't handle it for very good reason, because they've been through tough times. It's best not to let them know what you guys are doing, because they simply don't understand the abundance which is beginning to come into the country. Mm-hmm. Right? So, And the only caveat is you should be on top of your cash flows. You should not be in debt. You should not be spending money you don't have. But if you're on top of that, I see no problem. If you're doing your savings, if you're doing all of that, I have no problem in guilt-free spending. You know Why not? I mean, if you're young today, why will you not enjoy yourselves today? So I would just balance out my spending with prudence. But once you've done that, I mean, go have fun, of course
2: so uh, i think the first time uh, one really starts uh, thinking about all of this uh, that how i should spend my money and all of that is probably college especially uh, if uh, you go away to a new city and you're you know managing your finances on your own and not living at home basically so um, at that age um, at least i even in i mean in my personal experience and what i've heard from my friends as well there's a lot of um, impulse buying that we do i think that definitely has something to do with having a little bit of um, uh, if not financial independence just independence in general so you just uh, you know you're uh, spending your money on your own for the first time how uh, to what extent do you think that factors in and uh, how can this impulse buying be controlled and uh, you know at uh, the age of college students Um, what is the most important aspect they should be focusing on while spending and managing their money?
1: So I think a lot of uh, spending happens because of peer pressure. And that's a game nobody can win. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Okay, so this balance in your own uh, decision about who you are sometimes, uh, many times, manifests in the way that you spend. So this is one of the first things that I think that uh, college students should work through that you can never win the peer pressure game. So it's actually better to spend on what you really like rather than what others don't really care you're wearing or not wearing or eating or not eating. So if that sort of balance comes, then you're actually spending because you want to spend, not because you're trying to impress somebody else. So that is sort of a basic fundamental thing to work through. And I know what peer pressure is. I know how strong it is to um, try and fit in with what the others are doing. But finally, it will be about the money that you have. And this is really not the age to take loans and get into debt because you're funding lifestyle. Because it will really, I mean, it will finally be your parents who will pay. Uh, You you know, It's going to be a long time before you get the kind of jobs if you run up a large debt that you can pay it back. So responsible behavior would be not to run up debt at all right now on uh, consumption. But in the money that you have, if you are, one is that the money has to last the month. So if there is an impulse purchase, you have to see what it's going to do to your budget for the rest of the month. So again, it's a good idea to make parcels of money to say, you know, this much I need for rent, this much I need for basic food, this much I need for transport. And then you see what is left over. I mean, that money is your impulse purchase money. So if you clearly identify a pool of money and call it, okay, I have whatever, 5, 10, 15, 20, I don't know what, uh, you know, uh, parents are giving these days, but whatever it is, this is the money that I can actually impulse spend. And you've... Uh, you've already taken out a little bit of money if you think that you want to save at this point from the uh, stipend or pocket money that you're getting from your parents then uh, you know that it's really guilt free spending and again i don't think it's very important when you're in college to you know run up large savings because you're still using your parents money but it's a good habit to start even if you just do 500 bucks so it, you just, you tell yourself, I'm just building the savings habit. So by the time I start earning, I'll be used to taking out a little piece of my money and putting it away. Right, and right. even like 500 bucks a month is good enough just to build that habit. So spending, it has to be within your means. You cannot run up a debt. So that's just the golden rule.
2: Right. Uh, so uh, ma'am, at what age do you think... Um, uh, kids should uh, be taught about finance because uh, again in schools um, this is I mean a view that a lot of people hold that we're taught basic math we're taught you know fractions and uh, things like that but we're never really taught we even we we're even taught economics after a certain point but we're never really taught the practical aspect of it and how to actually Uh, manage and spend your money in real life like real life situations that we'll face we learn about the macro aspect of it and the microeconomic theories and uh, all of that but we never really get to learn that and then we're thrown into the job market and then we have to sort of start managing it all on our own so do you think um, this should be taught at a very early age and if so at what age do you think uh, these things should be taught to children
1: You know, it reminds me of uh, when I finished uh, a master's from Delhi School of Economics in economics. Mm -hmm. It's one of the Mm -hmm. most premier institutes in the country. At that time, it used to be for higher studies in economics. And we Mm -hmm. went through really complicated. uh, The math problems would run into three blackboards solving it. You know, it was that complicated Mm -hmm. econometrics and statistics. But at the end of those two years, I did not know how to sign a cheque. Mm-hmm. And at the end of those two years, after that, I went abroad for a second master's and it mm-hmm. was a disaster handling my own money because I had a scholarship and I was in trouble with my bank all the time because I just could not manage my cash flow. So you're absolutely right. We are just not taught any of this. And I would imagine it's again, this uh, socialist DNA in our educational system, which mm-hmm. looked at money as something bad, something evil. And this crept into our uh, DNA around the 70s again. You know, India took a U-turn. It took a left turn in the 70s under Indira Gandhi. And I don't know if you kids know, but the word socialist in the Indian preamble was added Mm in 1976 by, uh, you know, the Congress government. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so there is this whole superstructure of, not wanting to discuss money and thinking it's bad and that's how it creeps into the education system that you don't discuss it at all because it's something bad
2: Mm -hmm. i think
1: we should we should definitely one is we should begin at home children must be a part of the conversation about money they should know if there is enough or not enough they should know what choices parents are making about money. And parents, again, it's the way that the parents behave that the kid will pick up those habits. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it begins at home. In school, I would imagine class 11th and 12th are crucial years in which some basics of managing your money, um, just the, you know, the difference between real return, nominal return, future value, uh, CAGR, compounded annual growth rates, Mm -hmm. managing your cash flows, building an emergency fund, just basics should be taught. But I think education, you know, the curriculum uh, gets loaded by a lot of social objectives. So I don't know if they really have the bandwidth in the curriculum, but uh, maybe they could do some elective courses where kids can sign up whoever's interested and do those extra credits. Uh, with courses in personal finance so this this would actually be it's a life skill and you're going to need this in your entire life the ability to deal with money
2: mm-hmm. so um, what do you think ma'am is the uh, best way to sort of learn about these things so for example um, again I think I'll Uh, bring in my personal example here Um, I am uh, you know in we're all in our third year of college and uh, I'm sure there are some other people like me who are still not at all well versed with uh, anything related to you know banking and finance and money so uh, after a certain point uh, it is expected of you that you should be knowing these things and if you don't you're sort of again uh, as we mentioned earlier you tend to be judged if you uh, you know these discussions come up. So, um, what do you think is um, the best way to learn these things? I mean, in terms of should we uh, be relying on, uh, you know, something like uh, online? If we should be reading about it, or we should uh, sit with our parents? What do you think are the best ways of uh, sort of building a foundation of this kind of knowledge?
1: So, this is not a plug for my own book, but I will plug <laughs> my own book here. So, let's talk money. Um, you know, it's already sold more than 25,000 copies. And this is really an yes. entry-level conversation about money. Mm-hmm. And it, um, so the problem with the money conversation is that it very quickly gets complicated and people start immediately about talking about um, derivatives and futures and options. And that is not where we want to go. We want to start on the ground floor with very simple conversations about getting a system in place Mm -hmm. So I would advise, I mean, if you can find another book like that, you should read that. But really, this is a foundation stone of understanding your entire life as, uh, you know, how you will earn income and how that spending will happen through the years and what you can do to put a system into place. So online tools are great, but Mm -hmm. what Let's Talk Money has done is put a lot of those ideas into a certain structure and system. So it becomes like a first foundation stone of thinking about your money.
2: Right. So, uh, Ma'am, do you think, again, this is a a brief follow-up to this question itself. Uh, uh, Is there any way in which a topic like money, again, as we've discussed, the stigma and everything around it, do you think something like that can be made relatable in any way considering the current generation?
1: You know what? I don't know if you people saw this movie, Tari Zameen Pe. Right, right, yes.
2: So what it did
1: for uh, the education system and expectation of parents from children, this unreasonable uh, whipping of kids into doing uh, academically a certain kind of academic work—you know it was a it was a movie with a very deep message. Yes. My sense is we'll see more and more of such entertainment. Mediums coming, whether it's short films or full-on Bollywood films or um, stories, where underlying theme is this financial self-sufficiency. Because to put people in a class and say, "Oh, Indian stock market has a regulator and three stock," you know, it's very boring. Mm -hmm. But same messages can be given through entertainment, through stories. It's far more powerful to do. So I would imagine that as, see, it's also a function of more and more people will have the money that demand for more knowledge will come. And that dry knowledge is out there of uh, very dry courses, very dry workshops. There is no retention at all of uh, what lessons have been learned. But uh, a movie or a serial or a story with an underlying thread, which is not moralistic, but just very practical and relatable. I think that those are the kind of things which we should start seeing soon. Right. Uh,
2: so, ma'am, how do you think, um uh, again, uh, specifically talking about uh, freshers to the job market, which uh, I think we'll also be in a while now. And, uh, you know, um, I think now uh, in every conversation related to this, we will have to factor in, the pandemic and the kind of effect that it will have on uh, the future job markets in every kind of industry so how do you think for um, uh, people who will be entering it now uh, that healthy conversation around uh, topics related to money can be encouraged yeah and also you people
1: have drawn the joker in the pack you know because you're graduating at a time (laughs) where the job market is going to be at its worst so my advice to a lot of uh, this generation who's at the threshold of the job market, is maybe take a year out and uh, do something completely different. Because if you enter the job market at a discount to your salary, it will take you many years to recover. So, people who entered after an MBA into, say, a consulting job after 2008, uh, so 2009, the batch of 2009 when they entered, it took them seven to eight years to recover from that dip in the first salary. So it may not be a bad idea to either study further or get some life skills where, where you yes. think you are lacking before you actually enter or you know a job in a market which is so tight. So but there, there are sectors which will be doing extremely well, like healthcare is a sector, you will have uh, the entire digital technical parts are very, very good for jobs. But a lot of the others, are going to be very tight. So I think kids should think out of the box and take this as an opportunity to do, say a six months or one year of learning things which you've not done before, things which our education system simply does not prepare you for, or getting experiences of uh, being in situations that you've not been before. That That would be very, very good also on your CV. But in, let's imagine that you do get a job and you do start earning. Then the only thing is to take a very long-term view about your earning life and start to put down that money habit. So rather than going from tip-based one-time investing to see it more as a larger plan, which gives you stability in your life rather than this bouncing from the stock market to gold, to Bitcoin, to day trading, you know, that if you're bouncing around, then you will gather nothing. There will be no increase in your wealth. So those decisions should be taken as you get into the job market and start earning.
2: All right. So, um, ma'am, do you think that uh, the consumerist society that sort of exists now, as you've mentioned, we've had a shift from socialism. So um, how to what extent the, does that contribute to the stigma of money?
1: We've not even begun on the consumerist space. If you want to see consumerism, that you have to go to the US where uh, I remember meeting this uh, doctor. I was doing a fellowship at Yale, New Haven. And there was this, uh, somebody's sister had come and she was an American and she was discussing how she and her husband, there were no kids, had to move to a larger house to accommodate all the stuff that they had. And uh, so I said, like, what kind of stuff? She says, like, you know, 25 pairs of boots. So I said, why would you need 25 pairs of boots? She said, because uh, they're there. But I could, I usually only wear one because that's the most comfortable. So then I asked, but why? what makes you co- being compelled to buy that one that you see in the shop? She says, because I don't have that one. So consumers has not even begun in India. We are just getting out of poverty and there's a little bit of uh happy hysteria around you know spending some money which is fine Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um so i'm 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 very happy that uh, we are beginning to spend it's just that we should just spend the money we have we should not borrow so i don't know if you know but an average american household is steeped in debt Mm -hmm. so they live paycheck to paycheck and if uh, something like COVID causes those paychecks to stop they completely go under because they are come they they have credit card debt they keep rolling over their cards and they're just living on debt so that's not where our consumerism should lead us to but uh, mature consumerism is a good thing because when you buy you're getting somebody you know it's part of somebody's income and profits so that entire yeah. upward business cycle also comes because people are spending So, it's just mature spending, spending money that you have that is very, very good. So, I have a very different view on spending. I think it's a good thing.
2: Right. Uh, So, again, a small follow-up to this question. So, do you think
0: that this
2: um, stigma and anxiety around money, it exists regardless of somebody's wealth status or is it only in as you mentioned before in society, uh, in a country like ours where people have gone through tough times and things like that. So is it, it does it exist across these class barriers or do you think it's something that the relatively poor face?
1: So Americans and people in the West who went through the Great Depression their spending habits are very similar to uh, the Indian spending habits okay. of the uh, the older Indians, because it takes a very bad event for you to understand the value of money. Mm-hmm. So people who have been through that time, the Americans, mm-hmm. that is the generation which was saving very hard. But when good times okay. come, you forget that those times go away. So I think the human behavior is not divided by um, around money is not divided by where you are. I think it is really about what circumstances you have seen. So in in a way, this whole COVID thing has been a very good uh, lesson to many people for them to understand that you need to keep your debt under control. I mean, 30% of your take-home salary, not more than 30% of your take-home salary should be your EMIs. If it's going over that, you need to really worry. And... That 30%, is it going into pure consumption or are you actually building an asset? Is it right. just consumption debt? Or is, it, is there a vehicle at least, if not um, another asset that you have got? Even if it's a depreciating asset, at least it's something more durable. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Yeah, I mean, it's just that experiences around money build our behavior.
2: Right. Uh, So, ma'am, since we talked about, um, you know, at what age should one start learning about these things, um, I would like to ask you, at what age do you think, uh, or in fact, do you think uh, young people or even people in, you know, their um, last few years of school, maybe, do you think those people should have some kind of earning experience? Do you think they should involve themselves in maybe some kind of internships or just any small opportunities that they can get to earn? Do you think that is good at that age?
1: Yeah, I think it's a powerful experience to understand how hard it is to earn even a little bit of money at that age. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a great idea that uh, you at least once or twice try and earn some money for yourself. Because Mm -hmm. it, it really builds in that respect for money, that it's taken me so many hours of work for an entire month to earn this much. And what am I going to do with it? You know, so these are powerful ways of Telling yourself that uh, money doesn't grow on trees and it takes work to actually uh, earn that much of money. So it's a great idea. But, you know, I wouldn't do it at the cost of my education. If you're in a very right. intensive yeah. course and you really need to focus. For instance, mm-hmm. if someone's doing medicine, they don't mm-hmm. really have the bandwidth to go out and, uh, you know, serve Starbucks coffee. Right. Because uh, sure. they have such a tight schedule. But so if your, if your schedule does allow you to do something, I think these are great experiences.
2: Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, ma'am, since uh, we also um, talked about, you know, uh, this sort of idea of uh, money being a, a, a topic that is taboo in our society. It has uh, come since, you know, the 70s, the era of socialism and everything. So, yeah. Um, I might be getting a little bit off topic with this question, but I I wanted to know um, what, according to you, should be the aim of learning about, uh, you know, money and uh, managing your money, considering uh, and factoring in, obviously, the class divisions that also exist, since, uh, as you said, somebody who is studying medicine does not have the time to be, uh, you know, um, working uh, elsewhere. So, uh, there are, uh, people, who, you know, whose financial backgrounds are not so secure that they can afford to uh, not be working at a certain age. So, keeping that in mind, um, what do you think should be the main aim of learning about these things? Is it to um, uh, to learn how to serve oneself and how to keep oneself secure financially, or uh, and how much do you think the um, concept of the value of money during this kind of an education?
1: as far as money goes we need to put on, put on our oxygen masks first so mm-hmm. we need to be in a secure place and we need to be in uh, in control of our financial life we need to be financially self sufficient before mm-hmm. we actually start uh, you know thinking of uh, thoughts which are very good must be had but what mm-hmm. happens is neither do you do your own uh, self-sufficiency. And because of that, neither are you able to help anybody else. It's only when you Mm -hmm. are in a secure place that you can do sustained help to somebody else who may not be so fortunate. So Mm -hmm. a one-time help or a spasmodic now on, on, now off is not really something which helps anybody. So if you do Mm -hmm. think you want to do something to bridge that economic inequality, it is, again, to have a plan of how you want to do it. Do you want to give your time? Do you want to give your energy? Do you want to give your money?
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: it's a good idea to work those things out. And um, um, so I'll tell you a small story. Money actually doesn't keep anybody from doing anything that they want. Mm-hmm. So I met uh, my daughter who was studying in a school somewhere. And I met some of her friends. And uh, one of them wanted to go abroad for doing robotics. And, uh, you know, so it, you know, the whole process is expensive and all that. So I remember just telling him that money has never kept anybody from doing what they want, really want to do. People have gone abroad with 50 rupees in their pocket in the past and come back millionaires. So if you really want to do something, money doesn't stop you from actually doing it you will find a way so that that sort of fire in the belly actually comes with a lack of money and that is one thing which i worry sometimes about this generation because especially of uh, children of uh, well to do families right you know we've coddled them so much that that fire in the belly is no longer there so that really will have to be induced because without that you know, one negative event, and you go under. Right. So I think it's a life skill to be able to manage with uh, little money, not getting attached to having a certain lifestyle or mm-hmm. having a certain amount of money, but being able to carry on doing what you really want to do, whether there is or there isn't.
2: Right. So, uh, ma'am, before we end, uh, there's one, just one more question that I would like to ask you. Um, I have heard uh, many times that uh, this concept of middle class actually doesn't exist. And, you know, since we've talked about how uh, the kind of con- uh, financial conditions that our parents' generation grew up in, and uh, this concept of uh, middle class has been sort of um, synchronous to that. So, um, uh, again, this is what I've heard uh, many times that, you know, this actually doesn't exist. And this is just something that has been created by the, uh, the uh, upper classes. So, um, uh, I mean, this is mostly just for, uh, you know, for the, I think, personal knowledge of myself and our listeners as well. Uh, what is your take on this concept of middle class? What uh, According to you, what is it and does it exist or does it not, as people usually say? You know, middle
1: class, we seem to think, has to do something with income, but it doesn't. It has to do with values. So I'll tell you a story. Um, In Mint newspaper, we were doing something on the rich inheritors. You know, all the big businessmen, their children, as they're growing, they take the business over. So we were doing a whole edition on the inheritors. And we reached out to the biggest names in India. And we used to call this uh, product Mint Rich. And some of the pushback came from the richest people who have, you know, literally thousands of crores. That you know, we are very middle class, and they weren't being—they uh, weren't being funny. They weren't being—they uh, weren't mocking anybody. But they, what they were saying is that you know, what our values are still very middle class. So I think middle class has to do with values rather than just money. I would look at it in that context. And those middle class values, I think we all know, we've seen our families go through that of hard work, of uh, prudence, of saving, of values, of a certain kind of life that you want to lead. So I think I would look at middle class in a little less money term, but more
2: value term. All right, ma'am. I think that's a great note to end on. Uh, This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. And uh, thank you so much for taking out time from your schedule, actually, and giving us your insights on this topic.
0: We could not have done this without you. That's it for this week's episode of Unduped. This podcast was brought to you by the BMM students of St. Xavier's College. For updates, please visit our Instagram page, podcast underscore unduped. Thank you for listening.